<laughs> yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> it's all downhill from here, yeah. What a fantastic video. If the cute animals and the, uh, the slogan didn't get away, we're going to be talking about community today here at Deer Creek. Again, my name is Joseph, and I just want to say welcome. Thanks for uh, studying with us, for learning with us, and talking about this subject. It's oh so important one of community with us. Is that a great commercial, though? So good. So well done. Android really knocked out of the park. I saw that commercial a couple years ago, and I liked it so much, I went online to watch it on YouTube again, just because I enjoyed it so much. And I found out I wasn't alone. Uh, apparently, over 30 million times that video has been viewed on YouTube. Wow. 30 million. That puts in the top percentile of the top percentile of videos on YouTube. And it's a commercial, right? It's a commercial. It's that thing that's like the bane of our viewing and entertainment existence. It's a commercial. Is something that we pay money for premium services so we don't have to watch. We invest in a technology that actually lets us fast forward and skip past commercials. People are going on YouTube to watch a commercial. People are watching commercials on YouTube so that they can then get to the video and watch the commercial. Isn't that incredible? That's bizarre. Now, cute animals help, always help. Lots of videos with cute animals, but there's something about that message that grabs us, at least grabs me. This idea that we can be involved in meaningful, authentic, healthy community, but not be the same. That we can be together, but not the same. I love that message. I love that slogan. I liked it so much. In fact, I stole it for the title of this sermon today, Together But Not the Same, because that is a super important message for us. Now, before you start feeling too bad for Android and me ripping them off, Android didn't exactly come up with this concept, right? This isn't a revolutionary new thing that was suddenly discovered in the last couple of years, this idea that we can have unity and diversity and that actually can be a very healthy thing at the same time. This is not a new concept at all. And in fact, I would suggest to you, there's something about this phrase, being together but not the same, that is etched into what it means to be a human being. I believe it's etched into the fabric of creation. I think it's etched into the Bible, into the fabric of God's word and his narrative and his story of love and redemption and grace. And I think it is etched into those things because it is embedded in the identity of our God. I believe that we worship a God of relationship and diversity. I believe that wholeheartedly. I think you see that if you get to know what the Bible teaches, you see it from the very first page of scripture to the very last page of scripture, Revelation 22. We start in a garden and God is creating all these things and he's creating, he's creating, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. But then something's not good. It's not good for what? For man to be alone. And the very first thing that's not good in creation is isolation. It's not good for man to be alone. So the crowning achievement of the creation narrative, the crown, the final thing that God creates, he creates woman. He creates women. And all of a sudden they are together with God in the garden, but they're not the same. They're different. And that's a beautiful thing. And we play out, we fast forward all the way to the very last page of scripture and we go from a garden to a city, to a place of diversity and flourishing, the city that represents the new heavens and new earth and everything being made full and right in creation. And what do we see there? We see people, men and women of different tribes and different tongues, worshiping God together. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. There's something uh, that fills scripture, this concept of connectedness, of diversity, being together, but not the same from page one to the very end. I've said this before, but if you took all of the moments of relationship and connection and family and all those dynamics out of the Bible, you'd be left with the cover. 
right? You'd be left with a pamphlet. You'd be left with almost nothing. We worship a God of relationship and we worship a God of diversity as a good and holy and a beautiful thing. Now I'm hammering that home because quite honestly, there's a stereotype that exists. A really dangerous stereotype that honestly, people just like me, uh, even myself at times have perpetuated. And that is this, to belong in a Christian community, to be a part of a church means you must conform and look like and act like and sound like the everything, uh, the people around you in every way. And that's a very dangerous stereotype because we actually do believe in the idea of conforming but not to what I look like, certainly not that, not to what you look like, but to who Jesus is and loving and serving and being like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus in everything we do and how we love and serve and teach and love and forgive, everything to be like Jesus. We want to be conformed to that. We want to be together, united with Jesus, but we shouldn't be the same. There's a very dangerous stereotype that says to be a Christian, you must fit some sort of cookie cutter mold. You must dress a certain way, you must watch certain types of TV shows or not watch certain types of TV shows, listen to certain types of music or not listen to certain types of music. You must speak a certain way. You must have a certain uh, vocabulary uh, or diction. You must dress a certain way. You must worship a certain way. And that is frankly dangerous. That's dangerous for Christian communities to embrace that type of stereotype because it does something. It creates two really unhealthy dynamics. The first one is this. This picture kind of represents it. It creates this insider-outsider dynamic. It creates a place where people come to a community, but they, they don't feel like they belong. They're, I'm different. I don't, I'm not accepted. I'm different. Look at everyone else. They're all the same, but I'm somehow, I stick out like a sore thumb. and I don't belong here. So I'm going to fake it. I'm going to put on a front. I'm going to act. I'm going to try and figure out how can I hide in the midst, even though I feel so different and I feel so isolated. You're an insider outsider. Now, the other dangerous dynamic is that someone doesn't even find themselves in this position, but they're outright rejected because of how they look, because of how they sound, because of how they dress, because of how they act, because of their political stance. People are rejected right out of the gate, and they do not feel like they belong. That is a shame that dishonors the message of Jesus. So what does it mean for us to be together but not be the same? Well, it's really important for us to undercut or disarm this stereotype because that's a really dangerous, really unhealthy place for a community to be. We're going to look at a passage together this morning uh, for a little bit, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll have the passage on the screen behind us in a minute as you would do that. Also, if you don't have a Bible or uh, would like one, we have Bibles out in the lobby at our connect table. Uh, they're friendly faces after the service and Bibles just free to a good home. We'd love anyone who wants a Bible to walk out of here with that today. But we're going to read a passage here written by the Apostle Paul that I think speaks to this concept of being together but not the same. It talks about how foundational it is for who we are as followers of Jesus. You see, the Corinthian church was a super messy church, was a really dysfunctional church, relationally, financially, spiritually. Um, they were, uh, the specific passage we're looking at here, 1 Corinthians 12, even in terms of comparisons with one another, you had people who were looking at other people say, you're not like me, you're different, you're not gifted the way that I am, I am therefore better than you. I'm better than you and I know it. And therefore you should be just like me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You have missed out completely. And this is what he writes to this messy church in Corinth. He says this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, just like a human body, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. We are united together through the spirit of Jesus. 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, this one thing that nourishes us. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. The body of Christ, we are united in the body of Christ, in the church, through a common faith in our Savior, one Savior, one God that we worship, that we serve, that we love, that we want to be like. But we are not the same. The body of Christ is so rich in its diversity, just like the human body. It has different parts that make up the whole, and it is better for it. It's better, it's healthier. Paul even goes on after this. Uh, you could skim down, and he, he talks about even some comical examples, right? Some ideas and some examples of what it looks like for the body to not function this way. And one of the things he warns against is uniformity. He says, if you're just a bunch of eyeballs, uh, you're not a very healthy body. Sure, you can see, but you're probably dead. And also, you can't do anything else effectively. And also, it's just really, really gross to imagine a giant pile of eyeballs. But that's one danger, danger of uniformity. But the other danger is that of separation and isolation. He talks about being a body part. Say, say you're a foot and you say, I'm so done with the body. I'm so tired of being looked down on. I'm so tired of being put down. I'm just going to cut myself off. I'm so done with the body. And the foot leaves and the foot goes off on its own. And you know what that leaves the rest of the body? Defeated. You guys are kinder than the first service. They, there's just collective groan, just, oh, boo. Yeah, so, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> Dad jokes. Anyway, so it leaves the body defeated. It leaves the body without. It leaves the body in a weaker position. The body is less capable because it has lost out on this vital piece of the bigger picture, of the bigger whole. But then it's not good for the foot either. It's not good for the foot to be off on its own because it withers and dies in isolation. Those are the dangers that are presented through embracing a stereotype of uniformity of saying we must all be the exact same or it's so messy and I'm just done with you and so I separate. There are dangers there. The scripture blatantly warns us against. And so the idea here is that we want to be together but not be the same. And Paul ends this section with this final exhortation, this final call to remind this church, this messy, dysfunctional, broken church, this is who you are. This is who you are called to be. And he says this. Now you are the body of Christ. You are together as the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Every one of you. Each one of you has a part to play, a uniquely crafted, uniquely called role to play in the body of Christ. You are together, but you are not the same and you are better for it. This is a great reminder for us as a church as we talk about community to avoid the dangers of uniformity, but also to avoid those dangers of splitting and isolation and separation. Neither of those are healthy. And there's a reason I'm talking about this, and I just want to put my cards on the table, just throw it all out there. My number one goal for this Sunday, for this morning, for this message, is to encourage you to be connected in a small group, to be connected in a small group here at Deer Creek Church. And I, I fully confess how ridiculously biased I am in this, but not for the reasons you might think. We are biased as a staff in favor of small groups. And we're biased as leadership in this church, men and women uh, in this church and small groups and the elders of this church, we're biased in favor of them, but not for the reasons you might think, right? We, we don't do small groups on commission, right? Uh, we, we don't get money or get kickbacks for people getting connected into groups. The church doesn't make money or gain prestige or extra, you know, spiritual bonus points for the number of groups or the number of people that are in groups. We don't get any of that, but we are biased. And here's why. We are biased because we have seen God move in such powerful ways in our lives and in the lives of others through small group communities. 
through people coming together and being together in part of healthy community, even though they are different. We have seen the kingdom of God work in powerful, incredible ways in our lives and the lives of others through small groups. So that is cards on the table. And if you're feeling some sense of rejection, "Ah, I just don't know how I feel about that. Maybe this helps, I don't know. I've got Harvard on my side to say how important small groups and relationships really are. This is a guy named Dr. Robert Waldinger. Dr. Bob is the director, he's actually the fourth project director of the longest running sociological study in the history of mankind. The human development, the adult development project, excuse me, the adult development project. And Dr. Robert Waldinger has been doing this for years now and he's the fourth director and this has been running for 75 years where they have followed the lives of individuals starting in their teenage years, starting in their adolescent years and followed them through marriage, through divorce, through jobs, through illness, every part of the way. And many of them are now in their 90s. And they have tracked with these individuals. They've tracked their health. They've tracked their sense of happiness, their sense of well-being, even the length of their lives, um, everything through these 75 years. And Dr. Waldinger, he would say that uh, he actually gives a fantastic TED Talk. I encourage you to check that out if you're familiar. Uh, You can look it up afterwards. It's about 15 minutes. It's so insightful. But he says, this is really insightful, but it's not revolutionary information. He said, what this study shows is relationships are really important. Anyone disagree with that today? Just out of the gate? Like, anyone just flat out, that's silly, that's that's ridiculous. Now, most of us are probably on board to say relationships are important. And he makes that point in the study. But what this study reveals, so much more than just that relationships are important, is how critically important relationships are. The number one determining factor for health, for longevity, for satisfaction and richness and fullness of life that people are reporting out is healthy relationships. By far, by far the number one determining characteristic. Not what your cholesterol level is, not what your diet is, not how often they went to, these uh, individuals went to the gym, not what kind of careers or professions people had or how much education they had, not how much money they had or how much fame they had. None of those things determined someone's health, longevity, satisfaction, fulfillment in life other than healthy relationships. Nothing even came close. They said they could look at someone's lives, uh, someone uh, in their 50s, and determine how long they would live based on the number and presence of healthy relationships. And they see a direct correlation. And he sums up the study in a really simple, not revolutionary way, but so, so insightful. And he says this, good relationships lead to longer, healthier and happier lives, period, period, that's it. Now, again, probably nothing here that anyone is just outright, ah, that's silly, I reject that, I don't want good, healthy relationships in my life, in fact, I want bad relationships or no relationships. No one here is saying that. So why is it so hard for us to prioritize good, healthy relationships? Why is it so difficult for me, as a pastor who works with people, to spend time investing into Netflix, or spend dinners playing on my phone, or spend nights and weekends thinking about work or thinking about how I can get ahead or how I can develop in these other ways. Why is it so easy for me to do those things but not invest into relationships? It's pretty simple, right? Relationships are hard work. Relationships are messy. Anyone who's ever been in deep, meaningful relationships know just how ridiculously messy and difficult relationships are. Netflix isn't difficult. I, I, I pick, I get, I'm in charge. I get to pick what I want to watch. I get to be the determining factor, and I get to be entertained. 
right? Even as, a, you know, as an extrovert, I, you know, going and talking with people or keeping things on the surface, I'm in charge, I'm in control, I can talk, I can banter, but I don't have to get real or get deep or get into any sort of mess. But that is not good, healthy relationships. That does not satisfy us, that does not nourish us in a good, healthy way. And so, for the rest of our time here, for the rest of the time, I, I hope you've gotten a picture of this idea that we are called to be together, but not the same as the church, but the relationships are so vitally important. So I want to do, with the rest of our time, is I want to just try and disarm some of those objections. Uh, we at Deer Creek, the leaders, the elders, men and women here have been praying for this for over a year now, for people to be connected into healthy, life-giving relationships. And our role in that as a church is we want to remove obstacles. We want to make it easier for you to connect in. We want to find places and ways for you to be together but not be the same and to express yourself in the unique ways that God has uniquely crafted and made you. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing together, kind of working through some of these objections and some of these on-ramps in the groups. Does that sound good? Okay. All right. You guys are doing great. All right. Well, here, if, if you're anything like me, as I even think about this concept of small groups, there are three objections that immediately just kind of bubbled up to the surface. And maybe you've felt one of these or you felt all three of these, but here you go. These are the three things that I think some of you might be feeling. No way, not today, and I'm okay. No way, not today, I'm okay. One or all three of those may be bubbling up to the surface. So I just want to tackle those in turn. So let's start with that first one. No way, Joseph. No way, Pastor Jose. Not interested. Not interested. Yeah. Not interested at all. I had a bad experience. Like I had a bad experience, right? I'm not interested in being a part of a group. Look, I was in a group before and it was awful. It was dysfunctional. People gossiped. I was rejected. I wasn't accepted. It was so messy, so incredibly messy. No, thank you. Groups are too messy. No way. I'm not even going to consider it. And my response to you in that would be, you're right. I, gr groups are, are messy. I'm not gonna deny that. I'm not gonna argue that our groups are somehow better than some other groups you've been in in the past. I'm not gonna try and pretend that. But I, what I will say is groups are messy and they are worth it. Groups are messy, but they are worth it. And here's why. Because you could have the most perfect small group leader in the history of the world and a group would still be messy. You could have the most perfect teacher, the most perfect counselor, the most perfect listener, uh, the most perfect small group leader ever and they would still be messy. You wanna know how I know that? Jesus' small group. Jesus' small group was super dysfunctional and messy. This is from Mark chapter three, verses 13 through 19. And this, and Jesus, right before this, Jesus has just made this bold proclamation. He has started his public ministry. And he has said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is within reach. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Wow, powerful mission statement. Bold mission statement. What's the next thing he does after making this bold proclamation? He starts to invite people to be in relationship with him. He starts a small group. He starts a group of people that meet with him and travel with him and do life with him. He starts inviting these people and read. Uh, you can listen along as uh, we see what Mark, how Mark describes what uh, Jesus does here at the start of his mission. He says these words, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to, them, called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, meaning rock. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. Matthew, a tax collector. Thomas, who was a twin. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Do you see that list? 
That's a ridiculous list. All that list is missing is Ric Flair and The Undertaker. Look at those names. You've got The Rock, you've got The Tax Collector, you've got The Betrayer and The Zealot. I mean, it sounds like WWE, right? This sounds like a world wrestling entertainment lineup. This has mess written all over it. This has dysfunction written all over it. Wait, wait, Jesus, you're, okay, you're starting your mission. You're starting out. You're gonna change the world with this incredible mission of the gospel. Here you are, savior of the world, and you want a tax collector, someone who works for Rome, and you want a zealot in that group, someone who is working to overthrow Rome. There's gonna be conflict, and there was. Wait, 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 you've got Peter in this group. Have you guys ever read about Peter? He was, he, was an, he was an extrovert off the charts. My wife says, I'm a, Joseph, you're not an extrovert. You're a raging extrovert, whatever that means. And I relate with Peter because Peter is always talking, just like I am. Peter's always, always talking. Even if he doesn't know what to say, there actually are literal moments in scripture where he says, Peter didn't know what to say. So he said this. And it's just, it just, it was what came out. <laughs> I, like, I like Peter. But then you have people who are quiet and contemplative reflective, whose words just carry so much weight and meaning. And, they, and Peter probably drove them nuts and vice versa. You have people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political stances, and here they are together with Jesus. Do not tell me it was not messy. The Bible is actually very clear about how messy this group is. Jesus is even very honest about how frustrated he gets with his small group at times and his disciples. He gets very, very frustrated with them. It's messy. If it was messy for the perfect eternal son of God, it will be messy for you. I'm not gonna lie to you, but it is worth it. Because without this messy group, we would not be here today, period. We wouldn't. We would not be gathered in this room. We would not have heard the name, the life-changing message of Jesus. We would not be here today without this messy, messy, messy dysfunctional group. God delights in using messy, ill-equipped, dysfunctional people for a greater purpose. So if your rejection right out of the gate is I had a bad experience, there's no way, I, there's no way, Joseph, I will not, I ask you to consider it is worth it. It's worth, do not swear something off just because of a single, even a couple of bad experiences. Has anyone here had food poisoning before? That's an odd question to get on a Sunday morning. You don't wanna be honest? Oh, God bless you and keep you. I, I've had food poisoning twice. It is miserable. It's a miserable, embarrassing, awful experience. You feel terrible. And I don't know if you're anything like me. I swore I would never eat again. I, I'm done with eating. I feel terrible. I feel awful. I'm so done with food. Did anyone else, uh, did anyone swear off food after getting food poisoning? Anyone? Period. Never ate again. <laughs> but I think almost all of us said, even though we had this miserable, awful experience, went and ate again sometime later because it would be foolish to not, right? Well, Joseph, that's silly. Of course I'm gonna go and eat again, even though I had a bad experience. I need to be nourished. Exactly. You need to be nourished. You need to be in healthy relationships. Do not, do not, do not swear off small groups just because you had a bad experience. Just because you might even run the risk of having a bad experience again. Now that's one objection. That's one side of the, of the no way argument. I do want to touch on that there are other folks who maybe on the other side of the spectrum, rather than saying groups are so messy and, oh, it's everything's so messy out there, people are feeling, Joseph, I'm, I'm too messy. No way. I, I mean, if you knew the stuff I've done or the stuff I've experienced, what my life has been like, if you knew what rattles around up here in my head or, or here in my heart, you wouldn't want me in a group. I, I wouldn't want me in a group. Too messy. 
Some people even have these objections. I'm just unqualified or I'm not prepared for this. What, what if they pray? I don't really do that. I don't even know if I believe any of this stuff. What if they talk about the Bible? I've never even opened the Bible before. What do I do? And I would say, you are not alone. You are not alone. There's not a single person here that was born into the world with either the character or the competencies of a follower of Jesus. And there's no one here, myself included, Dwayne especially included, who has, who has achieved mastery of those things. None of us have done that. You are not alone. The very first Bible study I ever went to, I was 19 years old, I was in college, and uh, I was super nervous. I, I had leafed through the Bible before, right? I was, I was pretty shy about it. I didn't know quite what to expect, but I had a Bible and I took it with me and I'm sitting down and I hope, I hope they don't call on me. I hope they don't embarrass me. I don't know if I'm qualified or equipped to be a part of this group. And uh, the Bible study leader said, okay, everyone, you know, hey, we're gonna go ahead and get started with the Bible study. Go ahead and open up the book of Jonah. And I looked down, I'm like, I brought the Bible. Who's got Jonah? Do you, do you have Jonah? Do you, who's got Jonah? I, I've got, oh, oh, it's, oh, it's in, oh it's, oh, it's in here. And let's just, let's be honest really for a second. That is not intuitive. Like the Bible, I knew somehow that the Bible means the book, but to know that the Bible has 66 other books inside of it, like that's not intuitive. So I was super embarrassed and I was super insecure and I, I turned bright red and people are kind of laughing and, you know, you know and, and I did not go back to my shame, and probably missed out on a really good, healthy group of guys who were passionate about studying the Bible and meeting me where I was at because I was just so insecure. And I would just say, you're not alone. If you're saying no way because I'm not prepared, I'm not ready, I have a group that I would love to tell you about. Actually, a couple of groups I would love to tell you about. First off, we have a group called Christianity Explored. It starts meeting tonight. If you can't make it tonight, guess what? Come next week. They're flexible. It's okay. And it meets here at the church, and there's one requirement for being a part of Christianity Explored. You want to eat food. We promise not to give you food poisoning. There's going to be a meal at every single gathering. No prior knowledge, no prior experience, nothing expected or assumed. You can come as someone who's got questions. You can come as someone who's a skeptic. You can come as anywhere between and just come and learn more about what does it mean to be a Christian and ask any question you want and not be met with ridicule or insecurity, but rather with acceptance. Christianity Explored starts tonight. You can sign up for it out in the lobby or get more information. We'd love to tell you about that. If you're someone who's been burned by the church, if you've, or if you're someone who has been burned by a bad group experience, by a bad church experience, I want to say you're not alone, and I'm really sorry. That is a shame. It's a shame that it, it, I would like to tell you this never happened at Deer Creek, that I'd be lying to you, because I know that we have done that as a church. That's a shame. We apologize for that. And if you are someone who struggles with the concept of church or being a Christian or being in a group like that, we have a group called Hope for Those Who Struggle with Church. It's a little on the nose, but... It's a really, really good group, and it's led by our own Ed Galashevsky. And he is someone who has struggled with church. He's very honest. Ed, Ed's very honest. You get to know Ed. And Ed is also a tremendous listener, and he wants to hear your story. And you will not get judged. You will not be shut down, but you will be embraced and listened to with compassion and integrity. Hope for those who struggle with church. We'd love to invite you to sign up for that and be a part of that. So that's the no way objection. You guys still tracking with me? Okay, let's talk about the next one. No way, not today. Just, I got trombone practice later and they gotta get the kids to practice and then there's a potluck and there's, there's just all these other things going on. Not today, Joseph. I'm just too busy. I actually think this is the objection most of you are probably feeling when you hear about small groups. Your schedules are already super full. And Joseph, you want us to add another thing in there? Ah, oh, I get it. Your schedules are filled up. 
I don't want to make light of that. Uh, in fact, that's a very common dyna dynamic for us here in the suburbs. We did a demographic study a year ago as a church, uh, church leaders, and uh, uh, dissected this. And you'll never believe what the number one challenge or obstacle people in the suburbs feel is. It's time. It's time. It's busyness. It's the rush. Our schedules are so filled up. And we feel like we're just rushing around like crazy. And you're saying to yourself, not today. Not today, Joseph. I'm not ready for it. Maybe, or the groups who have looked, and it's just not good. It's not a good fit. Not today. Maybe later. I would, I would encourage you. I, I totally receive where you're at. I feel the same way. I would encourage you. There's some words uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes here, I think, that speak to this. This is Ecclesiastes 11.4, and it says this. Words of wisdom from wisdom literature. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Now, we're not an agrarian society, so this is the Joseph Living translation. This is uh, the Joseph, yeah, the JLT. This is what I think this is. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. There's wisdom there. Yeah, that sounds so narcissistic. There's wisdom there. No, but there's richness in scripture. <laughs> but if you wait for the perfect job, how long are you gonna be waiting? Forever. And if you wait for the perfect relationship or the perfect spouse to come along, be waiting forever, unless you're me, because I, you know, uh, yeah, that got booed in the first service too. <laughs> and uh, if you're waiting for the perfect group to come along, you will be waiting forever. Not gonna lie to you, you will not find a perfect group that perfectly fits your schedule with the perfect people, because those groups do not exist. You will never get anything done if you wait forever. I know your schedules are filled up. I know that there is so much going on but are you being nourished? Because there's a difference between being filled up and busy and being in a healthy place where you are being nourished. I was a wrestler in, in high school, and so uh, and not, not WWE, you know, SmackDown wrestling, but uh, like uh, high school wrestling where it's very important to make weight. There's all these weigh-ins you have to go through, and so you're very strict with your diet, with your exercise, to try and get into your weight class because you always want to be at the top of your weight class just to sneak in to give you an advantage. And so very diligent with that. And I had a buddy who was a wrestler with me. His name was Alex. And uh, we're always trying to come up with goofy ways. How do we make weight? How do we figure this out? And Alex came into practice one day and he said, Joseph, I've, I've cracked the code. I figured it out. I know how I'm going to make weight. I've got it all figured out. I was like, oh man, tell me. I'm, I'm all ears. He said, I'm going to drink a lot of water and just drink water. You know that when you get hungry and your stomach starts growling, you know, you can just chug, chug, chug a ton of water and that way your stomach gets filled up and I can keep working out. I can keep training. I can keep, and I'll, you know, I'll do it for a week and then I'll be at weight. I don't think that's going to work, Alex. I'm, I am skeptical. No, no, no. It's going to be perfect. Whenever I'm hungry, I'll just fill myself up on water. That's what I'll do. He made it 12 hours. He made it till the next practice, basically. And he said, yeah, I was super full, but I was like falling apart. I couldn't wake up. I couldn't get moving. I couldn't move around. Yeah, it's because you were filled up, but you were not nourished. There is a difference between filling up your schedule with lots of stuff to do and being nourished. I know your schedules are full. I know it doesn't matter if you're a student or a septuagenarian or anything in between. Like you have very, very filled up lives. Are you being nourished? Healthy relationships are what nourish us. And they take work and they take investment and, and it even takes sacrifice, but it's so, so worth it. 
So, so worth it. And so we as a church want to do whatever we can to remove obstacles to help you even navigate the busyness of life and to help out in creating healthy rhythms for getting connected in groups. And here's how we're uh, approaching that. Here's one way that we are approaching that. This fall, we've started out with small group semesters. Now, this is a new thing for us. Normally, small groups have kind of had very flexible, kind of, yeah, they're kind of always meeting. Groups kind of meet ongoing. We are dedicating ourselves to three small group semesters throughout the year. Winter, spring, which runs January through April. Summer is June to mid-July, so a much shorter, kind of more action-packed, activity-based season because people are uh, traveling, doing a lot of fun stuff. And then fall, September through November, as I like to call it, our pumpkin spice-flavored season of small groups. And that's that's where we are right now. And we want to see you get connected into a small group. Now, you'll notice something missing from here. There's nothing in May. There's nothing in August. And there's nothing in December. Why? Those months are crazy. Like it or not, we're on a school semester schedule as a society here in the suburbs, here in Littleton. Those months are nuts. There's so much going on. And so we want to create, just like Jesus talked about, healthy times of abiding, but also fruitfulness. We want there to be regularly scheduled time where you are abiding, where your groups are abiding, where the leaders are abiding. We want to create very clear on-ramps for people to get into community of when new groups are starting and when is a good time to get plugged in. We're right in one right now. That's why you're hearing so much about it, probably more than you want to. But we want to create clear off-ramps too. Being a part of a life group should not be a life sentence, right? You shouldn't feel like, oh, how do I get out of this? And this was once upon a time, it was a really good thing, but now it's so awkward. And if I try and leave, I'll hurt people's feelings. No, 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 we don't want that. We don't want the clear off-ramps, clear times for you to go off and join a different group, to grow in a different way, depending on what season of life you're in, or potentially to lead a group of your own. We want to create off-ramps for that. We want to create off-ramps for our leaders too. We don't want anyone leading a group out of obligation in the church. We want people leading groups because they are passionate about growing in their faith and connecting with others, being together, but not being the same. This is one way that we want to help create rhythms of health and connection as a church. Another way, one of the biggest obstacles, childcare. Boy, Joseph, I'm a mom of four. How in the world can I be a part of a small group? It's a challenge, I'm not gonna lie. It's a very big challenge. And we as a church want to partner with you in every way possible to make that happen. So the church has set aside funds uh, ongoingly to say, if you want to be in a small group, we will pay for your childcare. If, you are not po- if you, it is not possible, you are not able to afford childcare on your own, no questions asked. We will pay for your childcare because we want you to be growing and connecting in a group. The church needs that and you need that. We want to see you connecting. And quite honestly, as a, as a parent, you need to be connecting. These are difficult, difficult seasons. Uh, my wife and I are just at our first and we're just, we're learning so much about it right now. I've learned that I can be a good husband and I can be a good father and I have no clue how to do those at the same time. That's really difficult and we need help. You might too. And so we have lots of groups that even already have childcare either built in or is available as part of it. I would encourage you to check this out. We have a MOPS group that has started meeting Friday mornings. They just met this past Friday. Oh no, they've already met. It's okay, you can still join. You can still get connected. There's all these opportunities to get connected. We want to do everything we can to remove obstacles so that you can get connected. So childcare support, there's a, there's a form on our website, deercreekchurch.com groups. And you can go on there, there's common questions. You can look up different groups that are there. You can even find this little reimbursement form. It takes you about two seconds to fill out, no questions asked. We would love, love, love to partner with you and your family to get you connected, to get you growing in a healthy way. So that is uh, not today, it's a busyness. I know that doesn't help with the filled up schedules, but I hope 
at least encourages you to pursue nourishment, to pursue that deeper connection. Our last one is this, is the, nah, I'm okay. I'm good. Maybe I, I'm talking about small groups and you start humming a little Simon and Garfunkel. I am a rock. I am an island. Yeah, except you sang it on key. Anyway, this idea that I'm a rock, I am an island because a rock feels no pain and an island never cries and I don't need nobody and nobody needs me and I'm okay. People slow me down and people get in the way and I am perfectly okay on my own. And I would say, my response to that would be a couple of things. I would say, you're either lying or you're settling, right? You're either lying that saying you're okay because you're not. Or, or, or you're not at least telling the full truth because you might be okay right now. You might be okay in this moment today. And you've got no clue what tomorrow's gonna bring. You've got no clue what's on the horizon. And you might be fooling yourself into thinking, I'm better off on my own. I'm okay. Now, some of you who are, who are you're not crazy busy, you're just crazy independent. You're so committed to this idea of my personal independence. And I would tell you that, and you would say, I'm okay. And I would say this to you, you're settling. You're settling. Do you really want the hallmark phrase of your life to say, I'm okay? You know, here lies Joseph. He was okay in life. You're settling. You're missing out. Not only are you missing out by being a part of life-changing community, but others are missing out from having you participate in it. I have a passage here. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. And this is just a beautiful, again, piece of wisdom uh, writing about the importance of community. And this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. When people work together, more gets done. That's common sense. And if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The Bible says you're actually to be pitied if you're alone because you're at risk. You're in danger. You're in more danger in isolation. Even when groups are messy, even when they're dysfunctional, it's better for us to have this community around us. Ecclesiastes goes on to say, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There are seasons where you are gonna need to be kept warm and you're not gonna be sufficient on your own or if you are, you're gonna be just okay. And you're going to need people. Circumstances and seasons of life are going to change and you will need others. But then the other side of this is opposition. Opposition is real. Whether it's spiritual opposition, whether it's relational opposition, whether the test results come back in a way that you were praying they wouldn't or you lose your job, opposition is real. And are you alone to face it? My encouragement, my, my, my exhortation, I would beg with you to not settle for just being okay. Your life will be enriched. You will be in a better place in community. And here's the deal. When you participate in a small group, you are on the front lines of ministry. The front lines. You are the vanguard of discipleship and transformation for yourselves, for the people around you, and in this larger community. You're on the front lines of care. One of my favorite stories to tell about uh, small groups uh, involves a, a woman in our church named Kim Schnitker. She's, got a, she's a mom, she's a few kids. Kim had knee surgery back in February. And I saw her months later, uh, and she was still wa- wearing a cast and kind of still recovering. I said, oh my goodness, I had no idea that you'd had this major surgery, Kim. And she's like, yeah, it's because I didn't tell you. I was like, oh, uh, okay. Well, I, hey, I, I wish I had known, man. We could have been praying for you. We could have been involved. We could have, you know, helped. And uh, Kim, if you know Kim, she's very blunt, and I love that about her. She's like, why would I have wanted you involved? I have my small group. 
oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor and, you know, oh, she's like, yo, I get it. You, you feel like you probably have to, you know, be involved and have to help people from time to time. She's like, no, my small group was way better at it than you would have been. They got to be there for me. They got to come and visit me in the hospital. They got to pray for me. They got to provide meals. They took care of childcare for a month afterwards, helping her out. She's like, they got to rally around me in the same way that I get to rally around them. And I mean, you would have kind of gotten in the way. And I love that. I love her honesty in that because that honestly is what we want to see. It doesn't mean small groups can handle every single obstacle or every bit of opposition that comes your way, but it means it's the front line. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The more people you are connected with in healthy relationships creates healthy dynamics, creates a stronger front line of care for us as a church. So as we're winding down, I, I want to wind down, I want to end with just a couple of questions. And I want to ask you, what's your next step? You, individually, what is your next step? My hope, my prayer, would be that for many of you, maybe most of you, it would be to get connected into a small group here at Deer Creek. To be together, but not be the same to be a part of something bigger, to worship Jesus as part of this broader community, but to bring the unique gifts and talents and ideas and calling that God has given to you to that community. That's, that's what I would hope for many of you. I know, I know many of you, we had over 78 people go through our small group training. Uh, we had 78 people go through our small group training this, uh, as leading up this, uh, this fall. And many of them have said, my next step is to lead a group. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to endeavor to do the very best I can. In fact, I'm going to commit to praying for the people in my group daily because it matters, because this is the front lines. Some people have already taken that next step. For you, maybe it's joining a group. For some of you, and I, I'm going to kind of just give you a little bit of an, of an asterisk at the end of this. Some of you, I, you've maybe looked at the groups and Joseph just does not work. I'd have to quit my job or I'd have to, you know, this, it does not work. Uh, the season of life I am in, the illness I'm facing, the circumstances, what have you, it does not work. I cannot be a part of a group like that. And so I would tell you about something called Growth Track. This is something brand new starting out at Deer Creek the first week of October. There's information in your bulletin about it um, that you may have already seen, but there are, it's a four-week uh, track of growth. I mean, it's, it's kind of self-explanatory. We want people to be growing. We want people to be taking next steps in their faith. And Growth Track is going to help you do that. So it meets every single Sunday for the first four Sundays of the month ongoingly. And so the first Sunday is all about reaching up. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What do we even believe here as a church? What does it mean to have a relationship with him? Week two is all about connections, reaching in. What does it look like to be connected into healthy, life-giving relationships, be nourished through that? Weeks three and four are all about reaching out. How has God uniquely created you, uniquely placed you, uniquely gifted you spiritually to make a difference? And then week four is where can you start serving? Where here at Deer Creek or in our local partnerships or even overseas internationally can you start using your gifts for the glory of God and for the health and the well-being of the body? This is going to start meeting October, uh, the first Sunday in October, and it's going to continue on from there. Oh, no, I made it the first one, but I couldn't catch the second one. That's okay. Hop on the next month. That's totally fine. It's flexible. It's freeing. We want there to be a place for people, whether they're brand new, it's their first Sunday in church ever, or for folks who said, I can't even remember the last time I missed a Sunday. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, a place to take next steps and be growing. And here's why this is so important. Here's why your next step is so important. Because we're asking the question, what's our next step as a church? 
If you were here last week, you heard Dwayne just give this incredible message talking about our next five years. We reflect on the last 30 years as a church, and we start talking about what do the next five years look like for us as a community. And we've talked about planting churches and 10,000 hours of community service. We've talked about seeing people come to faith. We've talked about uh, adding a service and all these incredible, ambitious, wonderful ideas. But here's the truth. We will never take our next step as a church if you're not taking yours, right? We, we as a church will never take our next step in the broad community if you're not taking your next step because it will not be how much money we have as, as a church that helps us attain those goals. It won't be how popular or how nice our facility is that helps us achieve those goals. It won't, certainly won't be how clever our staff and leadership is. God protect us from that. It won't depend on that. It will be people just like you, moms and dads and singles and marrieds and retirees, people in healthy, life-giving relationships, leaning into the mess, but seeing God bring people together and work transformationally through that. That is what will help us take our next step. And we need you to take your next step. You with me? You pray with me. God, thank you so much that you are a God of community and you are a God of diversity. Lord, I thank you for every single person that you have gathered here together today to worship you, to come together in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for people who are brand new here, brand new in the faith, even questioning faith. Lord, thank you that they are here and a part of this community. We're grateful to have them here. Lord, thank you for people that have been a part of this community for, for years and decades. We're grateful to have them here. We're grateful to be here, Lord, because you are here with us. We are together in your name, but we are not the same. So God, I pray for all of the individuals here that we would take our next steps to follow you. We would prayerfully discern and trust you that no matter what the obstacles may be, God, that you are worth it, that healthy, life-giving relationships are worth it. Lord, embolden us. Help us. We need you. We need you. Every hour, we need you, God. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.